Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Galway City Your Council podcast series where we will share insights on the range of services, projects and people in the Galway City local authority area. Galway City Council provide a diverse range of services including beach maintenance, dog pounds, health promotion, strategic planning, tourism promotion and housing supply. This series will introduce you to some of the people delivering those services and the valuable work they do every day in Galway City. For more information on Galway City Council, please go to our website www.galwaycity.ie. I'm really excited to share with you now my interview with Edna Verling, who is the director of the Galway City Museum. The Galway City Museum's mandate is to explore and share the rich history, archaeology and culture of Galway from prehistoric to modern times. So as you can imagine, my chat with Etna touches on history and culture from the ancient BC ruins in the Iron Islands to the early church to medieval trade to exhibitions featuring U2 and hip-hop and many areas in between. So let's hear this great interview from Etna now. Hi Etna, you're very welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Thank you, Fergal. Glad to be here. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about the Galway City Museum? And you're a director in the museum, so could you also tell us a little bit about your role? The Galway City Museum, as it currently stands, you know, behind the Spanish Arch, between the Spanish Arch, I suppose, and the Long Walk, is was built in 2006. And it um, it was preceded by a museum that was in Comerford House. I don't know if you might remember that, but yeah. Comerford House is that lovely building that's contiguous or beside the Spanish Arch. So that was the original museum. Uh, and that was going from about the 70s, I suppose, really, until it closed maybe in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, and then it was to make way for the new museum. So the new museum then came about... Um, I think John Tierney was the was the manager then, the city manager, as it was known then. And he commissioned it and the OPW designed it, a man, man called Kieran O'Connor and uh, and his team. It was opened then to the public initially in 2007. It, it would be about 16, 17 years old. Quite a new museum. It was a very modern building as well, a very beautiful building with lots of interesting features in it. So then I, I, I suppose it was a team appointed initially and um, I became director then in 2013. Um, and I've been there since. So I'm there 10 years now. Uh, in June, I was there 10 years. But funnily enough, when I was in the Heritage Council, I used to work in the Heritage Council. I was the museums and archives person there. And um, I, a lot of my work was kind of policy work, you know. So I was I was um, looking at, at museum, whole kind of policies for the museum sector. And I suppose we would have started a thing called the Museum Standards Programme. So I spearheaded that and that's now become a national programme. But when I was there, another part of my job was really to look at building capacity within the local authorities and trying to encourage as many local authorities as possible to have a museum. Um, because at that point, the Heritage Council had been very successful in getting heritage officers into all the local authorities. Uh, not, no, they, had, they weren't all in at that stage, but they were working towards that. And they have they have a very significant number of, of heritage officers. So we, I was trying to encourage them. So I actually wrote, the, I commissioned a brief for the museum, a feasibility study, probably in the late 1990s, maybe, maybe around 2000, 2002, that kind of way. So... Um, commissioned the, the, the study. So that was what the study that brought. I never imagined that I would actually end up working in the museum. You know, it was funny. So it came full circle then uh, when I was appointed. Now, I had done a little bit of work with them, maybe around 2010, 2011, as I was a consultant for a number of years, an independent consultant. And I worked with, with local authorities advising on 
kind of museum strategy, well, cultural strategy broadly and, um, you know, cultural development. But so I was involved with the museum as a consultant a couple of times with it around exhibitions and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I have a long track record of uh, and then, of course, before that, I worked on all the Galway excavations, the city, the Galway excavations project, which was saw, you know, the redevelopment of it actually saw the whole the changing of the city landscape because um you know there was no merchants road was literally like a like a road with tumbleweed on it it was like something from the wild west all these empty warehouses and we excavated the um air square center then and that was a big beautiful diamond shaped bastion a part of the city walls so there's a big team of us there from about the late 80s working on on excavating so a lot of that material then we now have in the museum you know a lot of the material that we we excavated has been a show in the museum, so it's gas. And that's your background, isn't it? You were an archaeologist originally. Yeah, originally, yeah. Actually, I was checking out the Galway City Museum website, which is great, and the amount of history that Galway has, it's amazing really, isn't it? It really has. It's funny. Um, it has, it's such a, a kind of an other place, you know, it's so it's so different because it's the only city really, like literally on the West Coast. I know Limerick is obviously in the estuary and in terms of being on the actual um, Atlantic there. But at the same time, because of the history of the area and because of the history of the city, when other cities were were going into full kind of golden ages in terms of the Georgian and the Victorian eras, Galway was on, was on, on the descent, you know, really. Yeah. So I'd say that after about 1700, Galway went into a decline. You know, having been probably the most significant city outside of Dublin for a number of centuries, you know, in terms of the port and in terms of its location on the West Coast again, you know, it was really significant. And it had a massive trade and a massive um, a reach, you know, right out into the West Indies and America and the Americas, you know, and all the way into Europe and beyond. It, it's a very interesting trajectory compared to other cities. And so we were in Waterford a, a, a number of years ago looking at all the wonderful collections. I mean, they, I think they've opened seven museums now in Waterford City. All they're coming down with amazing collections. And I was saying to them in a slightly kind of envious way, I was saying, God, you have such amazing stuff here. You know, they have big silver collections and big horology and clock and watch collections and huge big, you know, ecclesiastical collections and obviously Waterford Crystal and all those things. And they kind of said, yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, but you have amazing stories. You have just such fantastic stories. And they said, given the choice, we'd prefer the stories to the stuff. I can really relate to that. You know, when you talk about Galway's medieval history, because recently I was on the Camino um, in Galicia, in Spain, and there's so much of a connection there with the west of Ireland and its medieval history where, you know, there was talk about trading with wine and food and even the music. They kind of got a Celtic uh, tradition there with the music. So there was a great connection um, with Galicia and they talked about trading with Galway. So I, I saw that firsthand, that trading history. Yeah. In a way, Galway's history is quite different than the rest of the country. It was. Yeah. Now, I mean, Waterford had a huge trade and merchant class, which which ultimately brought all of And we see we were colonised, obviously, you know, so, you know, and Galway was under the rule, under direct rule of the crown, you know, from the crown. 
but it still had an, a culture that was different to anywhere else. And what was really interesting is that there was a very pure culture outside of the city, which I don't know, it just didn't occur in Cork or Limerick or Waterford so much or, or even Dublin. And it was that kind of shaped by the Atlantic, you know, kind of culture. Like, so in terms of the Gaeltacht, you know, the language was preserved in, in you know, was was a much more of a, I suppose, a daily feature of life, you know, right right outside the city with the Clada. And and then in the 1800s, I mean, from from the early 1800s, you see Galway being an ethnographic sensation. So it was it was like a, a must do on the tour of the world. Like if you were doing Europe, it was kind of like if you think you, you might know this, but the Knights Templars, for example, back in the, you know, in the 13th century. Now, they didn't come to Galway, but they came to Pettigo in, in Donegal. And they thought it was the edge, edge of the world, literally. And they had St. Patrick's Purgatory there. So if you went into St. Patrick's Purgatory, which is now Lochberg, you could you could access the un, the other the other world the underworld there and there's, there's there's very interesting things about it, but in Galway it was like it, it a later version in, in that it was so culturally different to anywhere else that it was it was it was this ethnographic sensation so much so that you know um, that it was it was a it was a stop on all the European tours. But you also then had in the early 1900s, you had these two women who were sent over from the Musée Albert Cannes in Paris, which was an ethnographic museum. The Madame Mespulé and Mignon, which was interesting, two women, took some of the first colour photographs ever taken in Ireland. And they took them in the Clada. And the women, we have all those photographs of the women wearing the Clada cloak and barefoot and the fishwives and the fishermen and all that stuff. And then you have, um, and then you have the Iron Islands, which is an even more heightened sense of that. You have the language, you have the culture, you have the costume, you have the traditions. You have, um, and it's sort of Agusbote, like it's just, it's, it's so, uh, it is so much, you know, it's so authentic. It's mm-hmm. so authentic, and the music that came out of it, and the Shano singing, and the dancing, and all those things. So that all that richness is there, and then of course you have this incredible landscape you know on our doorstep you look to the you know you look to the south you've got the amazing burn landscape you look to the west you've got the islands the sentinels and the bay and then you look to the north and you've got this the Connemara and the stunning landscape there mountainous and and so on but also to the east you've got this very rich landscape you know um, in terms of the big houses and the stories and the clombrocks and you know and then the whole revolutionary period so it's a it's very rich you know and um, we know in terms of monuments as well the archaeology the extant archaeology is really you know it's very different to other places i i worked on the galway archaeological survey but i also worked on the cork archaeological survey and things you'd find in cork you wouldn't find in galway like there's hardly any falafia in galway it's weird you know but we've got the highest concentration of children's burial grounds in galway and mayo in the country so what does that say about us? You know, so mm. it's um, and a huge early church, like really powerful early church, you know, with we we did an exhibition um, called Monument for Galway 2020. It's it's still in it's still up, actually. But in that, you know, one of the main exports of the Iron Islands, it, it focuses on the Iron Islands and the forts, the seven forts. But 
one of the main exports of the Iron Islands was Christianity. You know, they were flat out, you know, exporting monks and <laughs> who went on to do all sorts of things and then created all these links with Europe again and Louvain and Bobbio and, you know, was, all of that. I didn't know that was from that. And was that from the Iron Islands? That like So that, yep. you know, the, the land of saints and scholars, a lot yep. of it came from around this area, around the Galway area. Well, it, I mean, the Iron Islands are really interesting. You know, when we were looking at monument, we, we created this very large map of Europe on its side. And when you take the map of Europe and turn it on its side, because you can, of course, you know, you can look at the world any way you like, exactly. upside down or anyway. But when you look at it like that, it makes so much more sense to us because you are on this Atlantic superhighway. And now you're not at the edge of Europe. You're not at the edge of the world. You're not this far-flung Irgulta kind of place. Yeah. You're actually at the centre of commerce. And Galway is at the centre of that and the islands. And so you had you had traffic coming from, you know, from Excellent. Africa, you know, yeah. North Africa, West Africa, all the way up. You had them coming out through the jaws of Hercules, which they called, which was that little piece, you know, there at Gibraltar and Cadiz, out through the Mediterranean. You had them coming down from the Baltic. You had them coming down from Iceland and Greenland, and this there was no roads, so they were. This is how they. This is how they moved around the world, and so in this assemblage that we have from the Iron Islands, from Dunangasa, from the excavation done in the nineteen nineties, um, or under the Discovery Program, Claire Cotter was the director. She makes those wonderful links, and all of the collection, even though, like you can imagine, how much was there and how much has been lost on that crazy, you know, enigmatic fort with no hardly any earth on it. Um, but what they found bears all of that out because they have resin from the Baltic, you know, amber beads, and they have blue beads from the Central Europe and they have bronze, really sophisticated bronze making work. Um, and they have a beautiful aesthetic and an, a sense of architectural aesthetic in that they built these forts between 1100 BC and say 1180 but what's what she looks as well at is the distribution of monuments on the sites on the on the islands and it's there's a really um like in terms of square foot meterage or square footage there's a huge amount of of monuments so they were they didn't start with the forts they started before that with wedge tombs and things but then they also started to build these early church complexes you know so you have you know shapeel or you know the shaknin and this whole shocked business seven, the, the number seven. And, you know, there's, 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 and, and then you have Champel Senen and you have all these beautiful little churches, little oratories echoed then on Inish Machdara, for example, where you have, you know, Ilan Machdari, the lovely little iconic church. And, and then that's carried out into the east of the county where you have an absolute plethora of, of churches and holy wells and Roman. Then you have a big flowering of Romanesque and, you know, Clanfort. Yeah. Um, and all that. It's funny listening to you there. I think you're actually going to need more buildings for the museum. Oh, well, we are, we are actually extending. You probably know that. Listening to you there, it sounds like you're trying to convey the geography of Galway and the area around Galway as much as the history of Galway or that they're both interlinked. Am I right in thinking you're trying to convey that through your exhibitions that you do there? Do you, well, are you able to do that? Yes, Absolutely. 
I mean, we don't take the traditional approach, which would be from the prehistoric to the present day. You know, we don't do it like that um, because the, there, our building is, is quite difficult, you know, as well. It's complex. So we have to, it has a particular a kind of, a, a, you know, a, a difficult way of getting around it. But it's a beautiful building at the same time. Um, so what we try to do is look at themes, you know, so that, for example, on our ground floor now, we have our kind of archaeology galleries. And on the first floor, we have history galleries. And on the top floor, we have the Clada, because you can see right over to the Clada. And we built a model of the Clada as it looked in its heyday. But we also have done a very interesting partnership. The Corum, who are the Medtech Institute in the university, um, research centre, really, um, a huge, a very significant research research centre for, for medical technology there. Um, and they're very, you know, allied with uh, with the Science Foundation Ireland. They came to us about doing a med tech exhibition. So we've we've used taken one of the galleries up on the top floor and converted that into an absolutely superb med tech exhibition that's just opened. So Corum led. We partnered with them, but they kind of curated it, if you like. And Galway is one of the biggest med tech clusters mm. in the world, as you probably know. I think one in ten people in Galway works in medtech um, and there's a huge amount of export from Galway in terms of stents and in all sorts of other things. So it's very interesting. So that's, you know, so we've built a sciencey piece in as well because, and we also have a very, had, had a very good relationship with the Marine Institute and um, we've worked with them for the last seven or eight years and they um, have a gallery as well, a sea science gallery, because of course, we're on the, you know, we're on the, the, the real map of Ireland is massive. So we're, you know, involved in that as well and getting that across. So, you know, that's, I suppose, there are opportunities that came away, came along the way. And you, you know, you'd have to say yes to that. Well, I did say yes to that because I thought, well, this, you know, is what this is Galway's story, isn't it? You know, it's a huge part of, of the story of Galway. Do you notice a difference in the audience, you know, the international audience versus the Irish audience for what they want to see or the areas that they like to go to within the museum? You know, are they looking for different things when they come to you? A huge amount of our visitors, Fargal, are international. Um, like we have very big visitor numbers. Our last really good year, I suppose, indicative year was in 2019. And we had, you know, well over, we had over 250,000 visitors. Mm. So it's 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 big, um, and we are the only museum in Galway at the moment, you know, or the main museum, let's say. So we don't. We're trying to actually develop more our our local visitors because a lot of people in Galway, as you'll find in most cities, have not been in their in their museum. But we have we do a lot, of, an awful lot of outreach, and we do an awful lot of community engagement. And that's something I'm really passionate about and the team is very passionate about. And we have a wonderful team in the museum. I mean, that's what makes everything possible. We really have a very dedicated team, really good conservers, really good, you know, object people, really good education, outreach, exhibition, communications, all those. Everyone is we've really top class team that makes it easier, easy, you know, to to work together on projects and to, you know, we collaborate all the time. We sit down and work stuff out together and what we do next. And, you know, it's generally by consensus, not always, but generally by consensus. Um, And so we, you know, we have a, a huge amount of schools coming into us. 
Um, but we're also, well, we, but we also develop, uh, have developed a very good community outreach. Brendan McGowan and Damien Donlan now in the museum have set up these kind of, you know, working in the three different wards in the city and beyond. So we, like last week, for example, um, we opened an exhibition on Corrib Bio, which is about all all the communities around the Corrib. And it's going to be up for the next, it's in a community gallery we have. So we now have three exhibition spaces, temporary exhibition spaces, as well as the long-term exhibitions. We have a new outdoor gallery. We got money from Creative Ireland funding for that. And that's generally a photographic gallery. Um, it's very democratic. People can visit it 24 hours a day. Um, and we tend to look at more marginalised communities in that in that gallery. It's outside. We At the moment, we have a fantastic exhibition on by an artist called Brian Cross from Limerick, who is based in, in, uh, in LA. And he's been photographing hip-hop the hip hop community in Los Angeles for 50, for, well, he's been doing it for about 35 years, but it's 50 years of hip hop this year, just gone. It's just been celebrated. So we have everyone from Kendrick Lamar to, you know, the notorious B.I.G. and Tupac and Lauren Hill and, you know, Denise Chyla even. And so all those photographs are there. And I've, it's really funny uh, that came in as part of the Galway Arts Festival because we collaborate with them every year as well. But what I what I find is interesting. I'm seeing a lot of young people. I've never that. I, I mean, we often have young people around the museum. They skate and do stuff like that. There's a kind of a whole night culture. But I've seen a lot of young people, you know, bringing their hip hop kind of sounds with them, and doing you know doing a bit of breakdancing and all sorts of stuff around the museum. So I love seeing that, mm-hmm. you know. So that means we have an effect, and we have another exhibition on, uh, curated by one of the team. Uh, on on um, the, all the rock bands that came to Galway in uh, the posters exhibition in the 70s uh, and early 80s. Class exhibition, really. And that's really struck a chord. We got lovely posters from Charlie Byrne, for example, but we've a load of very good ones in our own collection. So Dr. Feelgood and, you know, and Lizzie you and you too, and all of them. Yeah, it's all tale like kink. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's amazing because it, it, when you're looking at the photo, it, it looks so long ago, but then... In my head, it doesn't seem it. You know, no, it's funny. No, nor in mine, Fergal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting so. that it's a different. And tell us, do you have um, a, an exhibition or an item over your time over the last 10 years that you personally, you know, are, do you have a favourite or something that you loved or you're particularly proud of? Um, well, I suppose I'm very proud of Monument because um, it's, you know, the largest exhibition I, I curated, I co-curated it with a, an architect called Sybil Curley. And um, it was a it was a great exhibition uh, to work on together because we had brought both brought very different things to it. But what I I suppose what I loved was that we were able to commission eight artists as part of the of the exhibition. So we had the wonderful archaeology and we had Claire Cotter, who who did the excavations. But we had we had eight artists involved as well. Uh, people like Colm Hogan, who's a filmmaker, you know, uh, like a top class cinematographer, made a beautiful 15 minute film on the Iron Islands Forest. And we've lovely, you know, pieces from Catherine West and Joe Hogan and made baskets all in response to the islands. So it's a very um, it's satisfying in that it satisfies my interest in art and craft, as well as archaeology as well as kind of, you know, we've Tim Robinson's maps in there. We've Sally and David Shaw Smith's photographs. You know, it's 
it, it satisfies an awful lot of of yeah. aspects of my own interests. I suppose you know. So I, I'm very I'm very proud of that. But I'm very I, I'm proud of everything really that we're achieving. But I feel we've a lot. We still have a lot to do. You know, we've a lot to do. You know, like that. What was that Fianna Fáil slogan? Was it? Yeah, lot done, more to do. A lot done, much more to do. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I mean, of course, now we're looking at a, you know, probably a, you know, a, a 10, 12 million euro plus extension. Um, so that's really kind of focusing our minds at the moment. You know, that's been derailed a little bit by COVID, but we're back on track. And um, we're moving forward with that. And so we're looking at some really exciting exhibitions for that space. Can I just say, there was something again on the website which I loved was asking people to send in kind of items that were personally important to them, which is yeah. kind of history. Or, and uh, I liked your one. So I saw you come from a creative background and yours was a painting. Your folder, Walter, is a landscape painter. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A gorgeous Sadly. painting. It was a lovely painting, yeah. Sadly, my father passed away to just over two months ago. Oh, sorry, so it's uh, even more important to me now. But yeah, no, I grew up in a very um, creative household. My father was a landscape painter, but also an educator. He, he he was a lecturer in Mary Immaculate, as was my mother, who was a musician. So I had, from both sides, I suppose, I had a very arty kind of background and um which I'm very grateful for. Uh, I must say they were wonderful parents uh, and were wonderful idealists. You know, they had great ideas and uh, they great you know, they love talking about I suppose thoughts and, and 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 the transformative qualities of art and music and all those kind of things. So that was that I was very lucky to have had that kind of upbringing. I must have made some uh, lovely uh, family dinner discussions <laughs> it, it did and we were still chatting to my dad about all of these things and looking at paintings and poring over books and maps he and I loved maps so he was uh, he was a great influence yeah one of the most important and you know that that idea as well as it shows you like all these things like even an old photo or a photo from a year ago very quickly becomes uh, an artifact doesn't it for everyone oh, and it's important it sounds- but, you know, I'm very glad you mentioned about that, my treasured object, that project that we did. You know, it's a wonderful way to get people to think about their own history as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you were to if I was to say to you, Fergal, you have to can pick one thing that you can save in a fire. What would it be? Or, you yeah. know, what would be the favorite your favorite object from your family home or from your own home? Or and it's always you see, that's the thing. You know, it's 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 not just it's not the object really it's 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 the meaning of the object and the symbol of the object and that's really our job in the museum is to bring those stories to life you know because you can look at something and say you know it's a, a piece of bog butter found in the bog in you know probably put in the bog in 1750 but i remember when i was a museum curator in donegal a little girl and her father came into me with this thing wrapped in in a big blanket and put it down on a, you know, on the table and said this, we found this in, 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 in the, in the bog. And it was an absolutely perfectly preserved bog butter, but in its, in a, in a wooden, a beautiful wooden uh, kind of bucket with a lid on it. And it was perfectly preserved. And the little girl told me her story and how they were doing it and when they would, how they went out to the bog and they always used to go out to the bog. And that was much more interesting that this little seven-year-old girl stuck her schlan into the, you know, into the bog and, and found this. 
So that, you know, that's the story you want to hear rather than the, the kind of, you know, the archaeological, typological, you mm. know, bog butter, you know, 17, circa 1750 or whatever, you know. You're right. It's funny when you said that the first thing came to my head was upstairs. I've got this little, a little car, you know, a tiny toy one that I yeah. bought. I was in Inishir in Irish college and I brought it home for my mother as a gift. And now I, I obviously kept it from our house, you know, and it's yeah. worth nothing. But it's, I know. It, it, it's everything because it's Darren Islands, which I love and my parents. And, and that's yes. the key. It's the story behind it, isn't it? It is. And it's also the impetus that you had to buy that for your mother. Exactly. You know, and, the, and the way she might have received it. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's very poignant and it's very special. And it's it imbues that object with uh, with so much more interest. And really, I think that's what we try to do in the museum. And everyone on the, on the team is great at that, you know, looking behind the object and looking at how can we improve the offer, always trying to improve the offer, you know. And do, do you have the oldest claddering in the world? Is that... Yeah. I bet you that's a really popular one, is it, for people, especially oh, Americans? Huge. And it's it's hugely important. And the story behind it, you know, it's it's that Richard Joyce story and which is now so famous about him being, you know, having been, you know, kidnapped by the Barbary pirates and brought brought to, to Tunisia, you know, to, to North Africa and all of that. And where he learned his craft and and that, you know, he then he came back to, you know, he, he the, the, the King of England paid a ransom for them and they came back. Now, without he before that, he'd been offered, you know, this this chiefs or this silversmith or goldsmith's ha- daughter's hand in marriage, but he turned it down and came back. So and set up his own shop in Galway. But he went on to do amazing things. So that ring there, of course, is from 1710, which is one of the earliest recorded clatterings. And it's a man's ring. It's quite a big ring. But he also made beside it, we have this shrine to St. Ursula. Um, It's absolutely stunning piece of silverwork. And with a a skull in it that is is attributed to St. Ursula's cult. She's a whole cult. She's 11,000 virgins who followed her around the place, and she when she was a, she was a saint from the from the maybe around six hundred um, AD, but she's very associated. She was an English woman, but she was actually very associated with Cologne in in Germany because she was they were all slaughtered there. But anyway, it started this whole cult. Um, but it's a most beautiful reliquary itself, you know, and that was made by Richard Joyce for either his sister or his aunt, who was a, a Joyce nun in the Dominicans. And then that opens a door into the Dominicans, which sounds really dry. Actually, it's uh, an amazing story, the Dominicans. And all the stuff we have of theirs, we have all their, we have this wonderful textile collection of theirs, some of which was made when they were in exile in northern Spain. And you're talking about Galicia. That's They had a huge impact on Galicia and northern Spain and indeed all the way down into Porto and into Lisbon because the Dominican nuns were the first convent set up in Europe, the first, you know, female convent set up in Europe was Dominicans. Um, so it's so they have a really interesting history there. Um, but they were actually a, a collective of artists. That's what they were. They making these extraordinary um, textiles. So we have those pieces. The nuns bequeathed them to us or not bequeathed. They gave them to us. They're all they're still alive. Thank God. Sister Alberta is uh, is the is uh, our main contact there and Sister Katrina. So it's it's very there's this you know there's a huge great richness there. Richard Joyce is in the middle of it, um, and Mark Fallon, another wonderful silversmith goldsmith. They made 
pieces for the, a lot of the tribe families, you know. It's funny, isn't it? Like Galway kind of, you know, like even now, say with the med tech companies, it, it's got this tradition of uh, in, the, the, the industrial side of it and then it's got the arty side of it, like we are just talking yeah. there. So yeah. the museum kind of shows that the, in a way, the way Galway is now, it's character, because it's kind of a unique character from other towns in Ireland. It has that throughout history, doesn't it? And I think that's what the museum kind of shows. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a lot of innovation, you know, and a yeah. lot of... um there's there but it's also kind of cultural innovation you know so you have you have this walled city you know and you know it's it's the most that beautiful map we have our lovely you know pictorial map of Galway and you know from 1650s is that's that that was so well made even you know that when we went to excavate everywhere it said there was a monument using that map we found it you know it was so accurate but so there's there's so much went on then, I suppose, in terms of trade. The ambition was huge. But the, you see that same ambition on the Iron Islands in, in 1100 BC with the forts, building Fort Dunangasa. Really? That took massive ambition to build seven forts across three tiny islands, took massive ambition. So I do think there is, and I think you're absolutely right, bringing it right into the, into the modern day. The innovation you had, even say with digital, do you remember? And, mm. you know, all that kind of, um, you know, that multinational side, that's huge innovation as well um, that you have going on in Galway. And now with the MedTech piece, I mean, with that cluster and you have the Galway International Arts Festival, you have Druid, all everyone boxing way above their weight. You know, you have the Galway Arts Centre, you have, you know, so much innovation in the city. And then you have the whole city of film. Um, you the European capital of culture, you know, so there's there has there's been a great growth in all of that, yeah. Thank you for listening and we look forward to sharing some more great interviews every Tuesday. Please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll be the first to hear new episodes every Tuesday. You are listening to the Galway City Your Council podcast. <laughs>